as America honors a civil rights icon, President Trump insists he's not a racist. Plus, is a miracle in the making? That's what it might take to keep the government open. And has a false alarm created a real crisis? This is the State of America Tonight. It's disappointing that this has dissolved into a, a fight of who said what at that meeting. The words, they did hurt the community. They did hurt the country of Haiti. No, no, I'm not a racist. He's definitely not, not racist. I'm sure of that. I am the least racist person you have ever interviewed. That I can tell you. Were the comments racist, do you think? Um, well, I, I think they were, yes. <laughs> Hello, I'm Nia Malika Henderson, live in New York, in for Kate Baldwin. To our viewers watching around the world, this is State of America. As we approach the one-year mark of the Trump presidency, one thing has become abundantly clear. This president's problems oftentimes are of his own making. Some might call it self-sabotage. Take today, for example. Many Americans will spend the holiday volunteering or maybe go to a church service honoring uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And this is actually what President Trump, like presidents before him, encouraged Americans to do on this day. But the U.S. president isn't taking his own suggestion too seriously. He's instead spending the day on the links at his Florida golf club. Meanwhile, outside the gates of that club, protesters have been gathering. Many of them are Haitian Americans, angry over reports of what Trump said about them in a closed door meeting. But Trump is defending his record and his rhetoric on race like this. I'm not a racist. I am the least racist person you have ever interviewed. That I can tell you. Now, that's Trump's first on-camera response to accusations that he used vulgar and hateful language in a meeting last week on immigration. The White House hasn't issued a flat-out denial, but the president has denied saying a particularly crude phrase, and he appears to be relying on others to make his case. Take a listen. Did you see what various senators in the room said about my comments? They weren't made. Those various senators, well, there's Democrat Dick Durbin. He says the vulgar comments reported in the media were exactly what he heard, and Republican Lindsey Graham agreed with Durbin. Two other Republican senators in the room weren't so sure what the president said. Tom Cotton and David Perdue released a statement on Friday saying, we do not recall the president saying these comments specifically. But apparently there's nothing like the passage of time to sharpen the memory because just 48 hours later, they refuted that the president had said a particular crude word to describe African nations. ABC's George Stephanopoulos put the question to Purdue. Are you saying the president did not use the word that has been so widely reported? I'm telling you he did not use that word, George, and I'm telling you it's a gross misrepresentation. How many times do you want me to say that? I, I didn't hear that word either. I certainly didn't hear what Senator Durbin has said repeatedly. But at least one Republican is calling out the president. Here's Mia Love, a Haitian-American congresswoman. Were the comments racist, do you think? Um, well, uh, I, I think they were, yes. <laughs> But there's absolutely nothing to laugh about for a man who walked alongside Dr. King, who was beaten by police and organized sit-ins. Here's House Democrat John Lewis speaking on ABC. We've come so far. We've made so much progress. 
And I think this man, this president, is taking us back to another place. Do you think President Trump is a racist? I think he is a racist. As we debate what the president said in that meeting, we're losing track of what he didn't say. He didn't sign off on a bipartisan immigration deal at that meeting, and one senator is calling that an act of, you guessed it, self-sabotage. Here's Chris Coons. But when the president has a meeting uh, at the White House at his own invitation and brings together bipartisan leaders and says, you go find a deal, I'll sign it, mm -hmm. anything that helps solve this DACA problem, and then a strong bipartisan group comes back with that deal, and he blows up the meeting and blows up the deal. It's hard to understand this as anything other than intentional sabotage. And speaking of self-sabotage, remember it was Trump himself who revoked those protections for DREAMers, kickstarting this entire debate we're having right now. Here's Attorney General Jeff Sessions. The program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. But on Sunday, the president blamed Democrats, accusing the party that actually created DACA of not caring about the Dreamers. Take a listen to this. I don't think the Democrats want to make a deal. I think they talk about DACA, but they don't want to help the DACA people. I think you have a lot of sticking points, but they're all Democrats sticking points because we are ready, willing and able to make a deal, but they don't want to. Now, what's at stake is not just the fate of hundreds of thousands of young immigrants possibly facing deportation. The deal for DREAMers is also tied to a spending bill to keep the government running. Congress is now facing the very real possibility of a government shutdown. Even Republicans in the House are worried. Here's Charlie Dent. There are not 218 Republican votes in the House to pass a budget agreement, an omnibus bill, or uh, certainly on, on the uh, DREAMers. So there's leverage there, and the Democrats know that. They have leverage certainly in the Senate because we need at least eight votes there, and we'll need their votes in the House. And Republicans won't just have to earn votes from Democrats. They'll have to convince their own party as well. Here's Republican Congressman Carlos Corbello. If we don't have any measurable progress towards a DACA deal, I am not going to vote for a stopgap measure. And I'm asking Republican and Democrats to take that position. We're in Congress, and regrettably, Congress is an institution that only acts when it's forced to. If there's a silver lining here, it's that the president has really pushed Congress to act on this. The president says a shutdown would have terrible consequences. Here he was on Sunday. I don't know if there'll be a shutdown. There should be, because if there is, our military gets hurt very badly. We cannot let our military be hurt. But that wasn't what the president said in May about a deal to fund the government through the fall. Back then, he tweeted, our country needs a good shutdown in September to fix mess. And in November, the Washington Post quoted confidants who said the president believed a shutdown would help him politically. Those comments might not help Republicans negotiate this week, however. In speaking of self-sabotage, on Saturday morning, people in Hawaii woke to this message on their smartphones. That was a false alarm, thank goodness. And it happened when a worker pressed the wrong button during a routine drill. Now, like other acts of self-sabotage, this had very real consequences. People ran for cover, they sought shelter, uh, and they thought that death was imminent. And more than 30 minutes went by before a correction was actually sent out. A Hawaii congresswoman says the false alarm points to a very real crisis. What makes me angry is, yes, that this false alarm went out and we have to fix that in Hawaii. But really, we've got to get to the underlying issue here of 
Why are the people of Hawaii in this country facing a nuclear threat coming from North Korea today? And what is this president doing urgently to eliminate that threat? So what is this president doing? On Sunday, he praised ongoing talks between South and North Korea, but those talks aren't about nuclear arsenals or threats to the U.S. They're about the Olympics. And former U.S. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice says they play right into Kim Jong-un's hands. I think Kim Jong-un is turning out um, much more so than I thought to be actually uh, pretty clever. Uh, The approach to the South Koreans was clever. The decision uh, to go to the Olympics is clever. Those negotiations are looking at what teams North Korea can field at the games this winter, including a hockey team with players from both countries. Now, I'm not sure if the president watches much hockey, but he may want to know this term. It's called an own goal. Now, that's when a player scores on his own net, and it might be just what we're seeing unfold in Washington right now as Republicans work to avoid a government shutdown. The president will be at his resort for a few more hours before he, bit, he heads back here to, well, here to Washington, where a firestorm awaits his return. We've got Caitlin Collins, who's traveling with the president. She's joining us from West Palm Beach as the clock ticks down. Uh, Caitlin, tick, 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 tock. You reported last week uh, that this president was very much in victory lap mode uh, as reports of his derogatory comments uh, came out. Is he still in victory lap mode down in Florida? Well, that's a great question, Nia, because last Thursday night after this remark was first reported and it was dominating the headlines, the president spent his evening phoning his friends and his allies to see how they thought the remark was playing out in the media. Now, also on this day, the White House did not deny that the president made these remarks, but instead offered a vague statement that was defending what the president had said during that meeting with lawmakers when he first made the remark about African countries. And it raises the question of if the president did not make this comment, like he said yesterday, denying that he made the disparaging remark, then why wouldn't the White House or the president deny it initially when it was first reported? And instead, the White House did not push back on this. Staffers privately were telling me that they didn't believe it was going to be that big of a PR problem because they actually believed the comment would resonate with the president's base, not alienate it, much like his attacks on those NFL players who protested by kneeling during the national anthem did as well. So it really raises question of how the White House has responded to this. And now that the outcry has continued to grow and it's gone outside of Washington and spread to worldwide, affecting diplomats in other countries, now the White House is denying that the president made those remarks and used that language, as so are those Republican senators. But it's important to keep in mind here that they're simply denying that the president used that specific term. They're not denying the sentiment of the meeting overall, Nia. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much for that report. Coming up next, reports of a vulgar comment made by President Trump have followed him to Mar-a-Lago as he goes golfing on a day meant to honor civil rights icon Martin Luther King Jr. The panel is up next.
The fallout from U.S. President Donald Trump's vulgar remarks continues to overshadow his Martin Luther King Jr. Day. He told reporters on Sunday night he is not a racist. Last week, he urged people to spend the holiday doing community service or civic work. But on Monday, he went golfing, appearing to ignore his own call to action. The panel tonight, we've got Alex Burns, CNN political analyst and national political reporter for The New York Times, Susan Del Percio, Republican strategist, Christine Quinn, former New York City Council speaker, and Carrie Sheffield, who's a conservative commentator. Thank you all for being here on on King Day. Um, Alex, golfing. I mean, it seems to strike sort of the wrong note on this day, uh, a day after the president had to declare that he wasn't a racist. Well, sure. If it were just the golfing, I think that the president would be in the position of having to defend that choice on on a day like this. He has sort of nominally gone through the motions of issuing a proclamation, talking about a service, talking about our racial and social reconciliation. Um, but especially with the backdrop of his comments over the last week, his administration really uh, besieged at home and overseas with criticism over his comments uh, about Africa and Haiti and immigration in general. This would have been an opportunity to do something to show people uh, that, as he said last night, that he's not a racist, right? Um, but he didn't do that. And, and it is part of his tendency, I think, to uh, really sort of close up and go in the bunker and and stay to social media and friendly media outlets uh, when he feels concerned about getting challenged. Kira, I'm going to go to you on this. You're a friendly outlet in some ways for this president, a booster of this president. But you've also said that you feel like he should apologize in the way that uh, Mia Love also said. Right. Well, I'm from Utah and I'm a big fan of Mia Love. I mean, look, the comments, it's been a matter of he said, he said, he didn't say um, if he did indeed say these things, then the president should apologize. And I agree with Mia Love on this. But I think that what what this bigger, you know, day could represent is a reset button uh, for President Trump and that he could really grow beyond just his base. And I think that's what concerns me is that, uh, you know, that Trump is doing some things that satisfy a lot of conservatives, like the Wall Street Journal editorial page, which happens to be my favorite editorial page. Um, And uh, but to to grow beyond just the base and to say this is a moment where we could unify the country. I think Vice President Pence did a great job of doing that. He visited the memorial today, uh, the Martin Luther King Memorial, and talked about how Dr. King's message was that we are all born in the image of God. Um, And I know that President Trump believes that. I just think he he doesn't communicate this uh, to go beyond just his base. Yeah, Ivanka Trump tweeted on King, as did Melania Trump. Christine. Must have been exhausting for them. (laughs) Christine, you have Democrats who are thinking that they want to uh, bring up a measure that would censure the president. It's something they tried to do as well uh, in the wake of Charlottesville. What will happen with that? It's un- it seems unlikely, but what's the message that they're trying to well, send with that? I think the message that, that Democrats that we're all trying to send is that this is unheard of. This is something we've never just had to battle with before in the president of the United States. We were talking before in the green room. If you had said a year ago on Martin Luther King Day, we would be discussing with great evidence whether the president is a racist. Even I would have said that's too extreme criticism of the president. And here we are. That's what we're doing. And, you know, I applaud the Democrats for pushing forward because for far too many incidents, the president just gets away with it and they get kind of blown over and the new crazy thing he does takes uh, over center stage. But he's made the comment, right, about the, uh, the S-hole countries. He had said people in Nigeria will never go back to their huts. People in Haiti have all AIDS, have AIDS. Right? Mexicans are criminals and rapists. So this is a pattern. And I don't think we can let this go because it speaks to the fact that, in my opinion, 
President Trump is a racist, and we have a racist running this country. Susan, she talked about the president kind of being able to get away with uh, some of this rhetoric. And, and some people might argue one of the reasons he's able to get away with it is because you don't necessarily hear any blowback from moderate Republicans, folks on the Hill like Mitch McConnell, Republican leaders. Or I'll argue Republicans with a conscience. That's what they should be doing. They need to call this president out when he makes these types of remarks. And you know what? Even if you say he didn't say asshole and maybe it was another word, or that would be bad enough. However, look at the what came after that. And he said, why do we have people from these types of countries versus Norway? So that is saying a lot. He took out countries of color and compared them to one of the whitest countries in the world. So that is a problem in itself when we're talking about immigration policy. And the Republicans should have used it as a way of stepping up and saying, no, we believe that this country is open to everybody. So they could have pushed back against the president, but they could have pushed back with an issue, not just having to go out there and condemn the remarks. And that would have made them successful. But Alex, Republicans know that Republicans voters are by and large with this president. They are, although not in the numbers that you would typically expect a president to have from their own party, that you have maybe six or seven and ten Republicans who are strongly supportive of the president. That's compared to you know eight or nine out of ten Democrats who are supportive of Barack Obama at this point, or Republicans for George W. Bush at this point. Board. There's significant softening uh, on the right and the center right, and that's a big problem for the president. And I, I do get why people have the impression that he doesn't pay a price for these things. We've not had uh, a federal election. Uh, outside of a few special elections like the ones in Alabama and Georgia since he won uh, a little over a year ago. But if you go down the list of assets that a president wants to have, political metrics that uh, gauge whether a president is strong Very or few, weak, right. if any, he is in no place stronger today than he was a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, 2018 coming up and Republicans very much nervous about what that means for them. And, in some November. of them not running. Right. Right. Retirements abound. Coming up, the president seems eager to declare a deal for dreamers dead on arrival. And he's even more eager to blame the Democrats. We'll go back to our panel next. My now famous meeting with the president was about solving a problem to secure our country and to be compassionate and understanding of these 800,000 children. When you tell them to go home, the only home they know is America. At South Carolina, Republican Lindsey Graham at a Martin Luther King Day event this morning. He's convinced there will be a solution for dreamers. Those young men and women who are brought to the United States as children will go back to the panel. Uh, Susan, Lindsey Graham, he's still uh, optimistic, but the president has declared this dead. Why is the president so eager to declare this dead? Like we were just saying on the break, I think this president is more eager to fight than he is to come up with a winning solution or move this country forward. It's more about him than the legislation that will help hundreds of thousands of, of kids, students and children in this country. The, this is going to be, a, but this is an opportunity for the, the Congress to take action, for the House and Senate to say, you know what, we, come up, we came up with our own bill and dare the president to sign it. That's where I think this should go. And if the Republicans want to show us some leadership and stand up to this president, in spite of everything and everything that's been said, that's the way to do it. 
But in, in some ways, Carrie, the president seems sort of eager for a shutdown. It's almost on brand for this president to have a shutdown. It'd be big headlines. He could say, see, I'm tough, a new sheriff in town, whatever. I mean, what do you make of that, a possible shutdown, because the president figures it's good for him politically? Well, I don't think he thinks it's good for him politically. I think that um, it really speaks to the dysfunction of what's happening just in general with our politics and the congressional approval rating being so low. I, I think that there is fault on the Democratic side as well. Um, that, you know, when you see, for example, the tax bill, Nancy Pelosi saying that it's peanuts what people are getting to take home. $1,000 a buck, so, you know, for a family, a median family, that's not peanuts, that's substantial. So when you know that the, the Democrats will be obstructionists in a knee-jerk way without any sort of compromise, without any sort of compromise on issues of border security, that's a problem. Christine, so you I want to absolutely. jump in? Because I think that about Republicans. Yeah, right. it's <laughs> <a long ago. laughs> so first of all, the $1,000 for most people disappears, and it is peanuts compared to what our what corporate inter- brothers and sisters Christine, got. In terms of DACA and what Democrats are willing to give up in terms of border security. You know, I don't think there's a lot we're willing to give up because we shouldn't have to. This was supposed to be the love bill. The president (laughs) promised that DACA dreamers would be taken care of. These are 800,000 children who have known nowhere else but home. And if you have a president and a party that thinks it's okay to play with children's lives, 800,000 people literally on the verge of being sent to places they've never been before, that is just something thing and some kinds of people you should not compromise with. To be a Democrat means to mean something in America, and it means we're going to stand by these 800,000 children. And Alex, one of the things, I mean, if you look at sort of the history of politicians in Washington trying to do something in terms of immigration, the the kind of obstruction or or the the hard part has been getting House Republicans uh, in line here, and that still seems to be one of the problems that, that any deal faces. That's absolutely right. I think in a lot of ways that's the more important obstacle than the president because, you know, as Susan was saying, I think Susan really got it right that if there's going to be a deal, it's going to come from the Hill and the White House will probably have very, very little to do with it, frankly, very much like the tax bill, Mm -hmm. that to the extent that you're going to see significant policy enacted outside of, you know, the regulatory process and executive orders, the initiative on that is going to come from congressional leadership. So the question now is, if Lindsey Graham and Jeff Flake and a couple others in the Senate, Cory Gardner, uh, three Republicans who have been very, very open and supportive to the idea uh, of a compromise, a pretty narrow compromise on DACA, mm-hmm. if they push that to the House, does it get a, a level of support from House Republicans that you can get a floor vote? Does Speaker Ryan feel like it's important to just dispense with this issue? And while there is significant opposition in the Republican conference, they can read the poll numbers as well as anybody else. There is overwhelming public mm-hmm. support, not for comprehensive immigration in all its particulars, but, but for doing something do. just about DACA. And Kerry, the president would need to give those House Republicans cover for voting for what many conservatives think of would be amnesty. Well, I mean, especially because, look, it is... Everyone says no fault of their own of these young people, and that is true. But really, this is a question of whether we think people should be able to muscle their way to the front of the line because of something their parents did. And I know millions of Latino families who did it the right way, and they waited, and they got in line. And to say that this is something that you can jump to the front of the line, that really strikes to the heart of fairness. So I think that and we need to have some sort yeah, of... This is the problem right, here, right? Exactly. And, and I think that 
that if we're, if we're the whole yeah. system, we're going to have more problems. We're going to have more kids coming in these unless just, we find I, I gotta wrap unless up we here, find Christine. a way these to have a comprehensive solution. This is the debate, and this is why it's, it's going to no take so much to get it done. Christine, I'm going to have to wrap you here, but thank you all, Alex, Susan, Christine, and Carrie. This is day 361 of President Trump's administration. That's the state of America tonight. Check out our podcast. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast or your favorite app. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.